you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Moutier, and I'm here today with Yotam Gutman, Director of Marketing at Sentinel One. How are you today, Yotam? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So today, the topic that we, 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 we decided to pick is the top three challenges that marketers are facing. But before we go into the details and, and, and we jump into the, the conversation, would you mind introducing yourself in, uh, in a little bit more details, Yotam, as well as uh, the company that you represent, Sentinel One? Sure. So as you mentioned, my name is Yotam Gutman. I'm the marketing director at Sentinel One. We're a cybersecurity company with offices in, in Mountain View, the Netherlands, UK, and, and Israel, where I'm based here in Tel Aviv. I've been with the company for, for six months now, and I'm managing the local marketing activities and help the global marketing team. Uh, I've spent about uh, six and a half years working in this uh, industry in marketing and business development role. And in addition to serving in, in Sentinel One, I also manage a community of cybersecurity marketers, about 300 of us uh, who share wow. ideas and uh, have a lot of uh, engagement here. So we have a very strong sense of, of community. I do like that. And I know that in Israel, the word community means a lot. Since we're on the topic of community and, and you know something that is quite topical right now, which is the coronavirus, which I think at the time of recording today on the 19th of March, it's kind of uh, kicking off a little bit everywhere. How do you feel the, the community is reacting? How do you think the impact is? How are people seeing it as an opportunity, as, a, as, as an issue? And what's the feeling basically? And what are the, what are the sort of feedback that you, you collect or receive from the community? So uh, obviously it's a big change and a big challenge to all of us. Specifically for marketers, I can say that we're, I think, better adjusted than most, especially people here in Israel. We're very well accustomed to working from our home, on the go, very mobile. We, we work from, with people from all over the world. So doing uh, Zoom calls and doing things from remote is, is practically how we live every day. However, okay. we do... Um, uh, we are aware that uh, this is a big shift. A lot of our clients have either had to stop their operation or, or alter the way that they operate. So we see a lot of, a lot of help going from the community between ourselves and, and to the customers. People are offering free services. Some of my colleagues have been laid off because companies are downsizing. We're trying to help them find uh, new positions. And a lot of companies are, are doing uh, what they can. For instance, in Sentinel One, where I work, but also other companies, they're offering security products for free for the next couple of months to help companies who now have to deal with uh, working from remote and they don't have the resources. So at least we're trying to ensure that they don't suffer any cyber attacks uh, at yeah. the process. So we're seeing a lot of uh, help. Uh, a lot of enthusiasm, and uh, you know, we just have to uh, push through these difficult times. Actually, yeah, I completely agree with you. We have to pull together. Okay, so coming to the topic again, the challenges, the three, the top three challenges that marketers are facing. Uh, so through the community that you are running in, in in Israel, 
you promote regular events to, to discuss with other marketing executives. And as you mentioned, there is also a big part of sharing best practices, experiences. I'm sure you speak about vendors and your experience with them and all that, which, which I'm sure is, is wonderful. So if we were to come back to the main topic and put the, the, the COVID-19 on the side for a sec, from your experience, as well as from what you gathered within your community, what are the three main challenges you believe marketers are facing in the B2B technology space? So that's a, that's a terrific question. And actually, to answer that, I, I actually ran a survey with my community. We had nearly 100 responders. So uh, I've taken the liberty of altering the results a little bit uh, because that survey ran at the end of last year and things have obviously changed. But the main themes are, are, are roughly unchanged. And, and I think the first challenge for us marketers and marketing departments, especially in B2B uh, environments, is to justify the marketing's role within the business side of the organization. I think that's the biggest and, and first challenge we all encounter. Second of all, once we've done that and we've hit the road, we start uh, doing campaigns, trying to generate leads, then the challenge becomes different, and that's how to break through the noise. I mean, yeah. especially in times like this, everyone is trying to sell. I, I'm very familiar with the cybersecurity space, so there are thousands of companies. There are about 150 product categories, and everyone's you know, broadcasting on the same channel. So it's very crowded, and it's a, it's a big challenge to break through to the clients. And lastly... If we were able to do that, I mean, as Israelis, I look from the local angle, then our challenge becomes different, and that's how to scale this globally. Usually, we're aiming at the U.S. market, uh, and, and we come from very small companies, and we're good at innovating, but not that proficient in, in scaling. So yeah. once you've found your voice, you broadcast to the right audience, how do you scale it into a really big company? So I think these are the main three challenges and they're only being, I think, exaggerated as we speak now. So everything is, is much more uh, acute. It's going to be more difficult to justify marketing budget. It's going to be more difficult to break through uh, the clutter and then to do it uh, globally. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. So, so if we were to, to, to tackle one by one, and it's interesting because when we... In practically all the conversation that we had on the B2B Revenue Acceleration podcast or, or with CMO that, that we are meeting outside of the podcast is, is really the justification of my role. How do I prove to the main company stakeholder that, first of all, marketing is, is important, but also that marketing needs budget, needs a lot of budget to be successful? So. Could you elaborate on that a little bit and, and also share some tactics or success stories of marketing individuals that have been really successful in showing those KPIs and engaging with their stakeholders to, to really get things out and, and actually put them into a prime position from a, from a function perspective within the organization? Sure. So I think you've mentioned the phrase that I think sums it all, and that's KPIs. So our key performance indicators. If, as marketers, we can communicate this clearly with our peers and with our executives, then we can have a, a very business-oriented discussions. Uh, we would like to uh, get that much 
uh, done in the next quarter. For this, we would need, I would say, a thousand leads. In order to generate a thousand leads, I think I'll have to run five campaigns and invest, I don't know how many uh, thousands of, of euros or dollars. And that would be the result. So I think if, if you come to such discussions prepared and have estimated KPIs, for at least in the beginning, you wouldn't have uh, very good estimations, but that's something that you can improve as you go along. And then at the end of each quarter, uh, each year, you can review these and say, okay, those were our goals. This is how much we've spent. This is our uh, return on investment, okay? Uh, today, marketers are measured by the amounts of qualified leads. Uh, some of, of my community members are also in charge of, of sales development representatives. And, and then they also have to schedule meetings. So that's also part of their KPIs. Uh, other marketers are measured on, on exposure because companies care about brand recognition. It doesn't really matter. As long as you uh, discuss this in advance, you record this, and then you uh, visit this and revisit at the end of the process. Once you do that, then people perceive you as part of the business process, and they'll be happy to spend because they can see the correlation between the investment and the results. One of the reasons that we've ran a survey, and that's something I'd be happy to share with anyone interested, is that we wanted to have a benchmark. So one of the uh, nicer thing about it is that we can show, we have percentage, we can show that how much companies are spending in marketing and in different uh, segments within marketing so that marketers can go to their executives and tell them, look, for a company roughly our side, similar company is investing three times as much as, as we do. Uh, so please, if you want to have similar results or better, I need you to match this budget. So with KPIs, with benchmark, I think that you can have an educated uh, discussions. One of the companies I'm seeing here that are doing a terrific job are called Cato Networks. They have been doing lead generation campaigns, terrific ones for about three years. And the marketer that I know there, Naomi Dan, is doing just that. He speaks with the management in terms of KPI, of real business goals, and then assigns a dollar value to them. And he's been very successful. I know that because he, he, man, he manages to increase his budget year on year. So he's probably doing a good job. Uh, at least I'm very happy to see his progress. That sounds wonderful. And, and when it comes to the, the oversee challenge, because that's also uh, going oversee, going into new territories in general, often an issue that, that, that companies are facing. And I think from our perspective, we always see like two types of clients. You have the the U.S. companies who are trying to come into the European market, or you've got Israeli companies trying to come to Europe and then go to, to North America. Uh, my experience of what we see, we, we, what I believe is the most difficult is to actually enter the, the North American market for, for a company that was not born and bred there. But I'd like to get your thoughts on that as well. I think coming into the European market when you are Israeli is probably a similar mindset in a way. Going into the U.S. from a European company, an Israeli company, or whatever company that is not U.S., we always see people struggling a little bit. And maybe it's because of the, the, the investment that is required to actually get and, and do a successful work in the U.S. Or maybe it's a culture difference. We've we never really been able to, to put our, our finger on what the issue were. But 
we've seen this this company is really struggling as you mentioned is in your in your uh, in your third challenge of of that scaling globally always being an issue so what are your thoughts on that do you have any you know war stories success stories that you could share with us so there are several aspects to consider here one as you mentioned is the the cultural aspect of trying to do business in a different region or geography and and in this regard i don't think it makes a lot of difference if you're trying to sell from israel to europe or from israel to the states and and vice versa i think the golden rule here is, is that you have to have local people literally speaking the same the local language not just in terms of of lingo but they understand best the the mindset how procurement works the sales cycle who's the strong person in in the organization even small stuff that are, are, are don't perceive to be very important uh, but could have a big significance i'll give you one example in the states small medium businesses are called smbs in yeah. europe they're mostly returned uh, referred to as smes small medium enterprise the size also differ so if you come to a european client and say smb they probably won't understand you and you'll start the discussion of the wrong foot. Just a small cultural point because you're talking about the same thing, but you're not very attuned to your client. Uh, when you're talking about Israeli companies in specific, as I, as I mentioned, we're, we're very good at moving fast and building products that work, but we're not always fully appreciate the size of the companies we're working with. So for instance, Sentinel-1 works with three of the top 10 Fortune 1,000 companies. I think it's number one, three, and, and seven. So these are huge companies. When most Israeli companies go and address these companies, they can go in, they can probably get in the door, perhaps do a proof of concept, and, and then it stops. And they don't really understand why. And one of the stories, one of the battle scars that I can share is one of the startups I was working with about five years ago I, with a lot of effort, I managed to get our system back then into a major uh, U.S. bank's fusion center. So the system was installed. It ran for about a week. Uh, we got, like, positive feedback. But the bottom line, and they said that uh, straight to our face, they said, you guys are very nice, uh, but you're not corporate grade. So you're not enterprise ready. <laughs> not and, big enough. And, and that's something I think it took me a while to understand what enterprise ready means. So it doesn't necessarily mean that your product isn't good, but it lacks the scalability, it lacks the support, the documentation, the local people on the ground, SLE, all these kinds of things that uh, we don't always appreciate here because we work on a much smaller scale. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that companies looking to expand to any territory, they have to consider who the target audience is, who can speak to these people in their language, and what are the basic requirements. So for us in Israel, is like one tip I can give you is don't go for the Fortune 5000 clients in the United States. Don't go for the tier one banks. You can go for the tier one, tier two, tier three banks. They're as big as any local bank that we'd have here in Israel. And they're roughly the size that you can actually serve as a small startup going into a new company. If you go to a, a big enterprise, you'd be stuck in a sales cycle that can last 12 to 18 months, and you probably don't have the stamina to go through that. So aim correctly, use local people, and then you might be able to, to break through on your first clients. 
I agree with you. So it's uh, walking before you 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 run and, and also taking it easy at the beginning, not going after the not going after the whales hunting, but more doing like a bit of a tuna of whale fishing versus tuna fishing. So trying to get the, the deal that can move quicker and the one that won't stuck you into a procurement process where you will need references and, and, and lots of puzzle bits and pieces to go through the hoop. So that makes sense. Regarding territories, do you see, you know, we, we, and, and again, from your perspective, having lots of experience with, with the, uh, the Israeli uh, CMO marketing community, where do you see the most pain? Do you see the most pain into coming to the European market or going into the US market? And, and why? If, if you have the answer. Sure. So about, I would say, 95% of tech companies in Israel would aim at the US market first for many reasons. One, the investors push them that way. Two, it's the largest market. The US are early adopters and, and they, they are happy to uh, you know, experience with new technologies. But if you try to do that, then as I said, you have uh, a big leap that you need to take. It usually doesn't work if you just have like one person on the ground that you support him with the team flying in and out. So I think yeah. the biggest challenge if you do that is that you need to hire fast and hire well. If you look at the European market, and that's an interesting perception because a lot of the companies are, as I said, they're not well equipped to handle such a big leap. And they might, they should actually start with a more... Uh, geographically closed location. In Europe, our biggest challenge is the, the diversity. So if, if in the States, you need to speak English, well, okay, we, we are proficient. We, we are not native speakers, but it works well enough. Uh, in Europe, it's not going to do. We, we have to speak in several languages. You have to understand the regulation at different uh, countries. Uh, Spain is very different. Or let's say Southern Europe is very different than Western Europe, which is different than the Nordics, which is then different than Eastern Europe and, and the Middle Eastern countries. So it, it's a lot to take in. And most companies, if they decide to tackle the European market, they would start with either the, the British market, which in terms of languages, it, it's easier for us Israeli, yeah, or, yeah. or the Dach region, which is uh, more cohesive. So you have Germany, the Luxembourg, parts of Switzerland. So roughly, if you have German natives, you'll be able to, to cater for these uh, territories. And also, they're financially sound, so it makes a lot of sense starting there. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm, I am so sorry. I'm going to go back to coronavirus for a sec, because I'm, as we are speaking, my mind is bubbling, and I need to ask you that question. It's a tactical question, less strategic to the, the type of topic that we, we've discussed just now. But we have had uh, a couple of clients impacted drastically. So one of our large clients, a company called Gartner, you must have known about Gartner being in marketing. We, we were supporting them in driving traffic to events. And obviously, with the recent news of coronavirus, we had to pause what we are doing with them because they are canceling the event. So there is no point having us driving people anymore. So while that's not a, a great news, it's kind of leading me to believe that a lot of marketers were probably banking on events taking place, roundtable. You know, it could be industry events like uh, uh, Google Cloud, the, the, the big uh, conference in, uh, in San Francisco got canceled a couple of weeks ago. I believe InfoSec in the UK got, will get canceled. I believe that Cloud Expo was not canceled in the UK, but had a very 
limited slash poor attendance. I've seen some terrific, terrible feedback on uh, on on LinkedIn and spoke to people who said, "Look, it was it was not a great investment of time and money." So with that, I'm kind of thinking that there will be a deficiency in leads created, in pipeline created, in prospect engagement created, or even with the partners and all that. So as part of the community now and the way you communicate and all that, what sort of tactics do you see your peers putting in place in order to offset the deficits of MQLs, leads, whatever we want to call it, pipeline generated from the traditional events type of activity? Yes, that's reality. And and as you mentioned correctly, I think the largest cybersecurity events that uh, we're we have witnessed this year was RSA about a month ago. And I don't think there's going to be any event of this scale, uh, even if the virus subsides. I think there's going to be massive cancellations, rescheduling. So in terms of event, this year is pretty much uh, devastated. And we have been talking about this internally within our my company, within the community. And people uh, realize very quickly that they need to offset that with digital activities. So we're seeing a lot of uh, efforts going into webinar, going into one-on-one interviews slash uh, conference calls with with clients, uh, serving digital content. I'm thinking, I haven't seen this yet, but I'm thinking that there's going to be smaller roundtable events once this crisis will be over and people will, at least locally, will feel uh, safer to, to be in a company of others. I, I might even hypothesize or have an idea for a new startup for, you know, just having a small conference room, but with separated rooms, but with one big video screen where everyone can, can share. That's also something that could work. I mean, people are looking for interaction, especially now that we're all cooked up uh, yeah. and, and can't travel. But again, that's not going to happen in the form of massive event, at least. That's my prediction towards the end of this year. So a lot of digital activities, a lot of uh, customer education. People still want to know who you are. People are still interested in your product. There's a need for all the technology that's secure and facilitate remote work. Uh, yeah. We're feeling this demand. Other companies are feeling it as well. So it's, it's just a matter of, of shifting between the traditional to the more, let's say, digital and remote kind of interaction. Okay. Yeah, that's what we feel. So we we uh, we have the big shift in um, in the way we work. So we in some countries, obviously in the US, we are much more webinar driven, online demo, you know, Zoom calls and all that because of the nature of the territory. But when it comes to Europe, actually our European clients tend to like face to face meetings. So obviously we had to shift all those face to face meetings. But again, if you look at our clients, B two B software companies, everybody is equipped with a Webex, a Zoom. Google Hangout, you know, Uber Conference, whatever it could be, you know, there's lots of solution, but everybody is using the solution because they are used to communicate with their Israeli colleague, their Indian colleague, their US colleague, their French colleague, and that's the way that's the way um, it works for B2B software companies. Having said that, we actually try to change the approach and, and every single message that we would send, email, social, or, or telephone conversation, whatever it could be, because obviously, as you know, your time approach is a little bit more direct. Uh, we, we try to make, we try to emphasize about the situation. And I think 
where you can engage with people right now, when you can pitch them your solution, you can tell them who you are, and you can still contact them. And, and technically, you know, what we are saying, we're saying people having a little bit more time in their hands because they're working from home and they are not either commuting or they are not into uh, internal meetings or they are less in internal meetings or they are less in the operational stuff in a way. So they, they, they should have a little bit more time in their hands. But we really try to emphasize on the situation and tell them, look, this is not really, we, we're not trying to sell you something right now to take advantage of the situation. But at the same time, we need to carry on. We need to put it together. You still need to work. You have to protect your job. I've got to protect my job. Obviously, we don't say that, but we kind of, we kind of make, it, make it clear in the first sentence that we need to carry on. And most people actually say, yes, absolutely, we need to carry on. But you're right in saying that you won't send me something right now because for the time being, getting a purchase order, getting a contract signed, Will be difficult, but we have to carry on. We need to look at new technology, and it's actually it could be a good time. But like you, we hope that uh, it will calm down, and we will be able to do small gathering. We'll be able to get out again, and 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 get things going. And hopefully, things should resume to normal at some point. How long it would take, we don't know. But yeah, we've got to pull it through and uh, keep going, I guess. Yeah, I think the the important message is that eventually we will see the other end of this crisis, and then though big changes will definitely occur, people will still need the essentials. They'll go out, they'll shop. And, and our clients, the B2B clients, or enterprises will want to serve these people. So we work with clients all over the board from energy, telecommunication, retail. All these need to keep on working. Even now as we speak, I mean, energy, energy companies still have to pump oil and refine that. So they need security. They will need to sell it when the crisis is over. Uh, and, and, and it's important to understand that the world is not going to stop, but we're probably going to have to make adjustments both to uh, how we do business and how we interact with our, with our clients. Uh, the quicker we do, uh, the more our companies will be better equipped to get through this uh, difficult situation. Yeah. yeah, and to be honest with you, I mean, you probably don't know about it, but we actually made a decision as a company to move to Sentinel-1. I think it happened last week. And I was in preparation of working from home and getting, uh, getting the EDRPs as, as, as part of the... Something that was important for our ITK. So as, as mentioned, you know, technology are important and choices will be made based on working from home. How do you control things? How do you bring security? And, as you, and unfortunately, hackers, everybody, you know, people will try to take advantage. So... You know, now more than ever, it's important to be secured. And, and, and if the community, as you mentioned, can support end user in getting security through freebies, support, content, and et cetera, et cetera, it's, um, it's, a, it's really all about solidarity right now. Yes. So thank you very much for your insights, your time. I really appreciated your, your, your time today. One question that we asked towards the end of, the, of, of our session and our recording is, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, I'm sure that anyone in Israel probably knows you, <laughs> but if uh, in the marketing field. Now, if, if anyone else wants to get in touch with you, pick up any of the topic that we discussed today, take them offline, or even speak about Sentinel-1 and what Sentinel-1 could, could mean to them, what is the best way to get hold of you, Yotam? So the best way would just to approach me through LinkedIn. I'm uh, very active on the platform. I usually answer within minutes. So just ping me, send me a connection request or, uh, you know, comment on one of my posts and I'll gladly interact with, with, with each and every one of you. Well, that's wonderful. 
Once again, Yotam, thank you very much for, for, for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.